Congregation, I invite you again to turn with me in God's Word to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How many of you have been worried or anxious about something in this past year? I think all of us would have to say yes. As you look back at this past year, as we have anticipated different trials, different challenges, there was times in which we became anxious. Perhaps for some of us, it was the question, how can I care for my aging parents? Or for those of us as young children, we might worry, who will look after our children if something unexpectedly happened to us as parents? For some of us, we go out to school, maybe a, a thought that goes through our mind is, what, what will my classmates and my peers think at, in the university or in high school if they find out I'm a Christian, especially if, I, if I'm a committed and serious Christian? Or maybe it's something more simple as, how am I going to pass that difficult test next week? Or maybe it's be, the thought that goes through our mind is, why is my child or my grandchildren not concerned about spiritual matters? Some of us have gone for medical tests. Some of us have gone through surgery or anticipating surgery. Some of us are going through cancer treatment. Some of us know that are dealing with the, this reality that our health is getting worse. We're getting weaker. And all these different things, all these things that are going through our minds, there's times where they can overwhelm us, keep us awake at night, make it hard to focus at school or in class. Perhaps for some of us, even lead us to despair, lead us to consider suicide, just a, a way of escape, a way to, to avoid all of these, these trials and these struggles that we face. So worry and anxiety can be caused by these, these concerns that we have, but also can be caused by physical factors. An improper diets, not getting enough sleep, as we get less sunlight, some of us are affected by not enough uh, the, the change in the seasons. Some of us have parents that, that struggle with chronic de- uh, depression or anxiety, and, and we, we learned it from our parents, and that's again, can be passed down to us. For others of us, we deal with anxiety and worry because of, of painful past events. Even children, something as simple, if you have a bad crash on your, on your bike, uh, next time you get on your bike, you might begin, begin to shake, and you say, no, I don't want to go biking again. It's something painful that has happened in our past that can make us worry about that this might happen again. And through all of these, these different examples, we see how we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, and we, we have these, these outside things coming in, and that we ourselves are sinners. We have our own shortcomings and our struggles. So how are we as Christians to think about worrying and anxiety? What does God's word have to tell us this morning to hopefully to give us some direction and encouragement? How would Christ have us live in the difficult circumstances that we face? So we want to focus on this morning from our text passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. We want to consider this passage this morning under the theme, Jesus' cure for our anxiety. We want to consider this in three thoughts. First of all, to see the tendency he so patiently addresses. And then secondly, the priority that he so earnestly counsels. 
And then third, the care he so richly promises. So Jesus' cure for our anxiety, and we begin by looking at the tendency he so patiently addresses. As we begin to look at this cure that Jesus sets before us, I want to make two clarifying statements. First of all, not to worry or not to be anxious, this does not mean that we don't care. Right? Because sometimes our worry, our anxiety, it's, it's increased because of our love for those around us. So we should care. We should be concerned about providing for our families. We should be concerned about the spiritual well-being of those who we love. We should be concerned of how we should live in challenging circumstances. When Jesus had the hungry crowds before, and maybe they were beginning at a certain point to worry, where are we going to get food? He didn't send them away and say, don't worry about them. We saw how Jesus fed them. Jesus, Jesus met their needs. Jesus was grieved and he wept because of the hardness of heart and the unbelief of Jerusalem. Right? So not worrying does not mean we don't care. The second clarifying statement I want to make is that trusting and depending upon God does not take away our responsibility to use the means that God has provided provided us to, to meet our needs. If you're sick or think you're sick, you go to a doctor. You don't just say, well, I'm going to have faith in God and not worry about my condition. As you anticipate retirement, and it's okay to, to save up and, pre- and prepare for that. If you're worried that you can't provide for your family, it's okay to ask for a raise or to look for a better job. Right? So this instruction that we're looking at this morning, this doesn't take away the, the responsibility that God gives to us to use the means that he has given to us. Well, let's put aside now these, these two clarifying statements and let's see how Jesus, first of all, patiently addresses this tendency. And there's four ways in this, in this passage in which Jesus shows us what is wrong with worrying. And first of all, when we worry, Jesus shows us that we are missing the real purpose of life. In verse 25, we read, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Those opening words there, do not worry, this is a command. So it's not something that's optional for the Christian life. Jesus is telling us, don't worry. And what shouldn't we worry about? Jesus mentioned specifically food, drink, and clothing. Right? The basic, essential things that all of us depend on for life. And the implication now is obvious, isn't it? If we should not worry about these very basic things, these things that all of us depend on, and certainly we should not worry about all the other secondary things that we worry about. Paul says something very similar in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we have this command don't worry. And why should we not worry? Jesus answers that question with his own question. He says to us, is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing? What's the answer to that? The obvious answer is yes. There is more to life than the food and drink that we need to keep us alive. There is more to life than, than clothing to keep ourselves warm. God has placed us here for a purpose. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. So the first reason why we shouldn't worry is that when we, by worrying, we miss the real purpose of life. The second way that Jesus shows us that we shouldn't worry is that worrying does not solve the problem. And most of us know this from experience, don't we? How many of us have stayed awake at night worrying about something, and yet while we sit there worrying, the problem has not been solved. It didn't fix anything. And Jesus gives us an example of that. In verse 27, he says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? This can mean either one of two things. This either means that you can add 18 inches to your height. Right? That seems to be the, the, the interpretation that we have here in our Bibles. That as you, as you uh, worry that you can somehow make yourself taller. Or the other way this could be understood is that by worrying you can add a cubit to the length of your life. That by worrying about your upcoming death you can somehow make your life longer. We know that, again, the obvious answer to this question is no. If you're worried about being short, you're not going to get taller by doing that. If you worry about how short your life is, you don't, by worrying, add months and years to your life. Worrying does not solve the problem. Well, the third way Jesus shows this is that worrying is a lack of trust. We see that in verse 30. We read now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you notice what Jesus calls people who worry? He says, O you of little faith. He doesn't say, you of no faith, implying that those who worry are unbelievers or have, are without faith in Christ, but he says, you of little faith. Now, which believer here wants to be described as someone of little faith, of small faith, of having little trust in God? This rebuke can be painful to hear. Isn't it true? So often when we are oppressed by this anxiety and this worry about things that we face in life, it's in times when we're not actively trusting and looking to God. It's in times when we have little faith, little trust. A fourth way Jesus addresses this tendency to worry is showing that when we do this, we're acting like Gentiles. We see that in verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things that Gentiles seek. This may, be, this may be one of the more painful statements here, isn't it? By worrying, we're acting like Gentiles. Those who do not know the living God. We can think of an example here of the prophet Elijah who's on Mount Caramel with those, all those prophets of Baal. And we have those prophets there. and They had prepared their, their altar and they had slaughtered their animal and everything's ready, but they're, they're waiting for fire from heaven. 
And as the hours go on and on, those, those, those prophets of Baal, they keep on crying to God. They even take knives and begin to cut themselves, hoping that Baal is going to notice. Have you ever thought of what would be going through the minds of those prophets there? Right? They keep on praying, keep on praying. They're hurting themselves. And their God doesn't listen, doesn't hear, doesn't seem to care. How anxious they must have begun to, to get as, as the day wears on and on. They're being exposed there as, as false prophets. And Jesus tells us that when we worry, we're like these false prophets. We're living as though we do not have the God of heaven and earth. We're living as though our trust is not in the God who upholds the whole universe. God who has sent fire down from heaven for Elijah. God who has shown his power in so many ways throughout God's word. As a child of God, this statement hurts. It's convicting. I'm acting like a Gentile. Does this not give you greater desire to deal with anxiety? Does this not make you pray, Lord, help me not to worry. Help me not to be anxious. Help me to put my trust moment by moment in your care, in your provision. So Jesus tells us in repeated, repeatedly in this passage that we, should not be, that we should not worry, that we should not be anxious. But how then does Jesus want us to live? Let's consider this in our second thought as we consider Jesus' cure for our, for our anxiety, the priority he so earnestly counsels. Instead of worrying about our earthly need, Jesus tells us in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is what our priority, our focus needs to be on. The theme of the kingdom of heaven comes up repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us an example of how we are to pray. We are to pray, your kingdom come. And in praying this, we desire the advance of God's kingdom, that the gospel would go out. As we close our prayer with yours is the kingdom, we confess that Jesus is our king, that he is, that he is our God. So instead of worrying, we need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We can apply this in two ways. First of all, this applies to us initially. If you do not belong to this kingdom of heaven, if you're still outside of this kingdom because of your unbelief, because you have not gone to Christ and trusted in Him, then all these other things in life that we tend to worry about are insignificant, really irrelevant. To put it bluntly, if you do not have Christ, you're on your way to hell. Any moment could be your last. You could have a heart attack, you could have a blood clot. The next time you get in your car or step on your bike, that might be the last time you do this. You're on your, way on your way to eternity. You're on your way to stand before God and to give an account of your life. And you're worrying about what people think about your clothes. You're worrying about whether or not you get a, an A or a C on that spelling test next week. Right? The point is that if you are without Christ, these other things that really don't matter. We're not to worry about them. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
That's what we should be worried about if we are still without Christ. That we would go to God to have our sins forgiven. That we'd go to Christ to be made right with God. That the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has earned in his life and that he has bought in his death, this would be applied to our hearts and to our lives. To be here this morning without Christ, instead of worrying about food, drink, clothing, instead of worrying about all the things that lie before us, make this your priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness does not end once we are saved. We're not done with this when once by God's grace we have come to Christ, once we are members in His kingdom, once we have the righteousness of Christ applied to our accounts. We don't sit back as believers and say, now I can spend the rest of my life focusing on work, on school, on entertainment, on my pleasures. Jesus here is especially speaking to His people, to believers, and He tells them, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As soon as we are justified, that is legally right with God, God also begins to to do this, and the focus turns from, from being justified to being sanctified. We begin to focus on how we are as believers to live for God. If you're a child of God, you want to grow in holiness. You want to become more and more like Christ himself, that that this would be visible in all of your life. Not just in your outward actions, but you have the desire that your mind and your heart would be purified. That those those sinful desires, that pride, that anger, that lust, is to be taken away. A little later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says, that we will know them, that's no believers, by their fruits. And to seek after the kingdom of, God, kingdom of heaven is, by God's grace, to do good works. What's this going to look like in our life? Well, certainly our priorities change when we seek God's kingdom. The focus is not so much on me as an individual with my hopes and dreams and goals, but my desire is to to know more about God, to do and to live as He wants us to live. We have this change in priority. We begin to lift up our eyes to look away from our problems and to focus on Christ. We remind ourselves that God is sitting on the throne, that God has all authority, all power, that He's ruling over all things. We remind ourselves that not a hair can fall from our heads because they're heavenly, without, apart from the will of our Heavenly Father. We remind ourselves that Jesus says that all things work together for good for those who love God. We remind ourselves that God's kingdom is advancing throughout this world. That Satan and those who hate God, they cannot stop him. His kingdom is going to advance. He's going to accomplish all that he has planned. And we remind ourselves that Christ is coming back any day. That when he comes back, he will right all wrongs. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay 
Or congregation, do you struggle with worry? As you think back, maybe to the last time you were particularly worried, particularly anxious, was that a time in which you were actively seeking the kingdom of God? Was that a time that you were actively pursuing the righteousness of God? Or had your focus, at least for a moment, shifted away from God? So often when we worry, it's because in our minds, God has become small, and people and problems have become big. Right? We, we, we have lost that, that right perspective. So we are not to worry, but we are to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We are to look at every situation in the light of the gospel, in light of what God has said, in the light of who we are, if we are by God's grace, His children. Yet there's one other aspect yet for Jesus' cure for our anxiety. And I want to look at that next as we consider His cure and the care He so richly promises the care he so richly promises. As you've been looking at different parts of our text, you may have noticed I skipped several verses. And it's these, these sections, they focus especially on God's care, how God provides for us. Let's read that together again. We'll uh, read verse 26 and then again, the last few verses. Verse 26, we read, Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And going to verse 28, So why then do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more care for you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. There's so much encouragement for us in these verses. And there's much that could be said, but I want to, um, in our third thought, focus briefly on, on four of these lessons that we can draw from, from this, of God's care, God's provision. And the first lesson re- regarding this promised care is that Jesus points us to God's pa- faithful provision for the insignificant. Here, Jesus draws our attention to birds, to flowers, and grass. He's not just saying, no, give them a brief glance as you walk by. But he's saying, consider them. Think about them. Examine them. Those birds that fly through the air, they don't have barns full of food, or in our context, they don't go to a grocery store that has shelves full of food for them to pick from. Instead, these birds go out each day looking for food for that day. And we read, God feeds them. God provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field. Those beautiful flowers that grow. Each one of them, they receive those, those petals because of, 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 because of God raising them up. God 
God blessing them and providing for them. And the grass that grows along the road, even outside our church, how many blades of grass are there? Millions of blades of grass. And Jesus says, I have clothed each one of them. Each little leaf, each little blade of grass is there because God has clothed it. God has given it life. God has been sustaining it. Jesus goes, goes on to take this picture and he argues from the lesser to the greater. He asks us, Are you not of more value than they? If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? And the answer to both these questions is rhetorical. Yes. Yes, we are of more value than the birds flying in the air. We're we're of more value to God than the blade of grass outside. God has made us male and female as the crown of his creation. God has made us in his very image. We, unlike all these other things, God has given us a never-dying soul. We are much more important than them. And as we see God's care and provision for the insignificant things, we should take comfort in that. If God takes care of the grass and the flowers and the birds, won't He take care of me? And the answer there is yes, He will. It should take away our worry and anxiety. And give us confidence to trust in Him to provide us with all our needs. The second lesson regarding this care is that Jesus emphasizes our relationship with God. Did you notice how in verse 26, Jesus emphasizes this relationship that God, with God, who cares for the birds. Jesus does not say, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in in two barns, yet their creator or their God feeds them. Now, Jesus here is emphasizing that it's your heavenly Father who is taking care of all these insignificant things. These birds don't have God as their Father. Yes, God is their creator. God made them. God provides for them. But it's only people People like us who can have this relationship with God as our Father. Through Jesus Christ, fallen sinners, rebels, those who break God's law, we can be restored in a relationship with God. We can truly call Him our Father. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ, He has adopted us as His children. We belong to Him. So remembering that God is our Father ought to take away our worry and anxiety. Well, a third lesson regarding His promised care is that Jesus reminds us of our Heavenly Father's knowledge. In the beginning of verse 31, Jesus again tells us not to worry. And in verse 32, He gives us two reasons why we shouldn't worry. First of all, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, and we looked at that already, But the second reason why we shouldn't worry is, Jesus goes on to say, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The congregation, as we struggle with worry, as we feel the cares of this life pressing down on us, taking away our joy and our hope, 
need to remind ourselves of this constant reality. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows it. He knows it perfectly. You don't need to carry these burdens alone. You don't need to go through life feeling like no one else knows, no one else cares. God knows all things. He knows exactly what you need. In fact, we could say, God knows what you need better than you yourself know what you need. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I really need to have this. If, I, if, if God would just give this to me, then my life would be complete. I would have more joy. Or if God would just take away that, that, that trial in my life, then, then things would be better. You might think that you need these things or you wish you didn't have these things. And yet your heavenly Father, He knows all things. He knows exactly what you need and what you don't need. And when we go through hard times, we don't receive what we ask for. When we, 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 we don't have something taken away that we, that we ask to have removed. It's not because God doesn't know. It's not because God doesn't care. But because He and His perfect knowledge has not given it or has not removed it. Well, the fourth and last lesson regarding His promised care is that Jesus promises provision. See that in verse 33. We had that call there. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added to you. Jesus says that if you make seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness your priority, then we can also trust that God will provide us with all these things. Referring there to food and drink and clothing. This is not a health and wealth gospel where if you just have enough faith, God is going to give you all kinds of blessings. That's not what Jesus is promising here. Rather, when we, when we have this priority, it comes also with an expectant looking to God to provide us with what we need. But also a humble submitting to our Heavenly Father that He knows best. When pastor puts it this way about this text, he says, God will give you whatever you need as he himself sovereignly determines and according to his rich provision. Here it can be helpful to remind ourselves of what God has already given for his people. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. We put that in, that should help us to put things into, into, into contrast. Our Heavenly Father did not spare his own son, he delivered his son to be a man despised and rejected, a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. God the Father did not hold back when Christ was on the cross, but He poured out the full weight of His wrath against sin on His Son. As we see this, don't we have to say what love our Heavenly Father has for His people? If He has given us His own Son, He's given us this, this infinite treasure in Christ. 
Can we not also expect God to provide us with these other things, these such small things in comparison? The congregation in this passage, we see Jesus' cure for our anxiety. Not worrying does not mean that we don't care. It does not mean we're not going to be concerned. It also does not mean that we sit around praying and not using the means God has given us. What Jesus tells us in this passage is that in all that we do, there should be a kingdom of heaven focus. We first of all need to seek Him, seek His kingdom, seek His righteousness. It should be a striving with the help of the Holy Spirit to grow in faith, to grow in righteousness, to become more like Christ as we battle against worry and anxiety. Well, the next time we are afflicted by worry, let us cast all our cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us. Let us focus on the greatness of our God, of all that we have received, or all that is being offered to us in and through Christ. Let's be encouraged by this promise of Jesus that all these things, all these other things, they shall be added to you. May each of us trust and worship God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, we come before you as those who so often struggle with worry and anxiety. And Lord, so often as we are weighed down, as we are discouraged, we have to confess that in the moment our eyes were not fixed on Christ, that we have lost sight of your infinite love and provision and ongoing care. Lord, we thank you for this word. And while the, this passage convicts us, while this passage shows us how, how short we come, we thank you for the encouragement that we have of your love, of your knowledge, of your provision, of your mercy. Lord, help us in this day. Help us in this week that we would look to you. Help us that we would have this priority, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We pray that you would give each one of us here that desire, whether we are seeking you for the first time, still without Christ, or those of us who have been believers for many years, Lord, that we would continue to seek you, continue to look to you, continue to rest in you. Lord, please bless us and help us in this. We pray that you also continue to bless us as we worship you, as you have a time of fellowship and the Sunday school classes. We pray that you would bless all the instruction that we receive, that through it we may be encouraged and built up and equipped to serve you. Lord, please forgive us our sins, and we ask all these things for Christ's sake alone. Amen.